Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Hello, I'm Sandra Guy. I'm a longtime writer for the Society of Women Engineers, SWE Magazine. Welcome to SWE's Diverse Podcast Series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. You can visit SWE.org for more details. And today we have a very timely topic, men supporting women in the STEM workplace. Every day, we're reading headlines about women yet again being the go-to caretakers as the coronavirus pandemic reemerges. So there's no better time than to talk about this topic. And with that, I'll give a shout out to one of SWE's affinity groups. It's called He or She. And the He for She affinity group is specifically aimed at bringing in more men who want to advocate for their female colleagues in STEM. The goal is, of course, a more diverse STEM workforce with the support of both men and women. And that's a perfect segue to our guests. They've co-written two books about men as mentors and allies of women in the workplace. Their latest book is Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. And their previous book is Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women. So I'm thrilled to introduce our co-authors and our two guests, Brad Johnson, He is a professor of psychology in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the United States Naval Academy and a faculty associate in the Graduate School of Education at Johns Hopkins University. And David Smith, associate professor of sociology in the College of Leadership and Ethics at the United States Naval War College. So I've interviewed Brad and David over the past few years for my news stories for SWE Magazine. And here I'll give a shout out to SWE Magazine's editor, Ann Perusik, the ever prescient Ann Perusik, who has had this issue top of mind for years. But for listeners who may be new to the idea of men as allies, let's start with the basics. So David and Brad, What do you mean by an ally? What does that look like? Yeah, um, 
Dave, I'm going to just jump right in here. This is this is Brad, and um, let me just kind of give you uh, the wave top answer to that, Sandra. So, you know, as Dave and I were out interviewing lots and lots of women, asking them, uh, what does it look like to you when a guy really shows up as an ally, as a collaborator, as a co-conspirator in the workplace in the interest of gender equity and gender equality? Uh, what does that look like? And as we began to collect those behaviors, we found that there were two large categories uh, of these things. And we could kind of nicely drop each ally action that we discovered into one of these buckets. So the first one is the interpersonal. And and this is, you know, how does a guy show up basically in relationship uh, with women that he works with? And, you know, this gets to those things like listening and not making assumptions and establishing friendship and establishing trust. And, you know, this is important work, but in truth, I think, you know, Dave and I would tell you it's the easy part of allyship. The other bucket of ally actions are what we refer to as the public systemic side of allyship. So these include things like disrupting things in the workplace that hold women back or that are not okay or that are sexist and harassing. You know, this requires me to break bystander paralysis and actually say things uh, when something's not okay. And it requires me to advocate for policies and procedures that are good for women, good for people, uh, you know, uh, across the board. But this may not be a policy I benefit from directly, but it's good for my colleagues. So I'm going to say something about it. I'm going to ask questions uh, about the way we do things if it seems to me that it is disadvantaging the women I work with. So those are the two big categories of, of ally actions that, that we've discovered, Sandra. Okay, great. So how and when did you realize that men as allies of women, particularly in STEM workplaces, was an important concept worthy of a focus all its own? Because as you said, it's one thing to listen, but then you, you're talking about going beyond the nod of approval to actual action. Yeah. So this is Dave. And um, I, I think there's two pieces, two parts to this for this, when did you realize piece? And a lot of it started at the very beginning for Brad and I, when we started working together on the research for our first book, Athena Rising. And really, one, there was this idea that as we were thinking about what gender equity was and what it took to really move the dial on, on creating more diversity and inclusion in our workplaces, that these conversations were much more focused around women's organizations, women's groups. And, and we just found very few men engaged in, in doing the work out there. And so Brad and I, that was our kind of, I think the first inkling that, Hey, there's something here that's unique and different that we need to think about in particular about how do we design? How do we provide? How do we create a role? How do we demonstrate to men that there's a, they have a role in gender equity, because too often, if it's if they men hear the words women and gender and diversity, they just think it's uh, it's a women's issue, and and so they check out or they just don't get engaged. They don't they're not involved, and so they they're uh, on the sidelines. And and so 
Brad and I like to reframe that and remind everyone that this is really a leadership issue. So that means that men and women as leaders, we, we all have to be engaged in this together to create gender equity. The second part of it really came about after the first book was written, about a, which came out in 2016. And in 2017, Me Too went widespread around the world. And, and Brad and I were being pulled into this conversation about what does it mean for men to be allies in the workplace, not just mentors and sponsors and advocates for advancing women in the workplace, but how do we, how do we show up as allies in the workplace? What does it look like? What, do we, what, sh- what should we be doing out there? And, and really that led us to, again, this understanding that as we were talking to men that, you know, most men believe in gender equity. Most of them are, are proponents of gender equality in the workplace um, for a variety of different reasons, but they just, in many cases, didn't know what to do or they didn't understand what their role was in it. And so Brad and I were, were convinced that this is where the research needed to happen, in particular in typically male-dominated uh, masculine workplaces like STEM, um, that there's a place for men to be engaged and to understand that if they are not, if they're not working towards gender equity, we're missing out. And so it's not just that women aren't advancing, it's that as men, we're missing out and our organizations and our work is missing too, because we're missing out on the collaboration that leads to so much better innovation. It leads to more creativity, to better performance, more success. The business case that we find across industries and organizations out there today is certainly alive and well in, in all of the STEM workplaces in particular. And there could be, you know, again, mentoring and sponsoring that's part of that, because again, as mentors, as male mentors, and, and just being good colleagues and allies in the workplace, part of what we're doing is we're one affirming that, that women belong and they and they do have the abilities and that there is a career uh, for them here and a future for them here. Um, but it but it goes beyond that into our individual actions every day that we have to begin thinking about what are the individual things that I'm doing that contribute to that. And, and not just holding myself accountable for that, but as Brad said, this broader idea of public allyship, I've got I've to really put some skin in the game and take some risk in some cases to change what has always been you know, the status quo of the system of, of the place that we've worked in. And for most men out there, you know, that, that system has worked very well for us. It's laid out a very nice, clean path. To the future for us, and we and life is really easy, but we often don't understand how that disadvantages or how other people feel in a workplace that it's not really designed for them. And again, STEM, like many other traditionally male professions out there, is a place where it was created by men to do men's work and and you know the type of work that we all do. So we have to begin questioning that and seeing how others experience it in a way that maybe doesn't help them to thrive and to do their best work. That's a great entry into my next question, which is how does this concept work at a time when women and particularly mothers are being pressured as never before because of homeschooling? They're now the teacher. They're the calendar scheduler. They're the house cleaner as never before. And all these other COVID related pressures. Yeah, that is such a good point and such a great question, Sandra. And, you know, Dave and I are certainly watching all of this data coming out post-pandemic. And, you know, the Women in the Workplace report from McKinsey has just come out showing that we are taking 
big steps backward when it comes to women in the workplace. Uh, you know, over a million women now have stepped away or radically decreased their work, their work hours, or they have been fired or furloughed. So we are losing female talent from the workplace like you can't believe. And a big contribution here, of course, is I think what you were referring to, which is the obligation at home and the lack of support at home. And research before the pandemic showed that on average, if a woman is partnered with a guy, she's doing double what he's doing in terms of domestic work and childcare. And, and in the pandemic, yes, men are home. You know, more of us are home. We're, we're aware of all the homeschooling and all the, all this stuff that maybe our partner is doing if we're partnered with a woman, but we're still not doing our share. So research, you know, just in the last few months has shown that men are still not really doing a 50-50 with their partners on average. You know, some men are for sure, but most of us are not. So we tend to inflate what we actually contribute in the home, and we've got to be better at that. So message message to men here and message to male allies, we can't, we can't proclaim allyship status, and we shouldn't do that, but we definitely shouldn't show up at work and throw on our ally cape if we're not really showing up at home first. This is really where allyship begins. And especially in the context of the pandemic, if we want to buffer against the huge loss of women from the workforce, if we want to buffer against the advancement of women uh, and the loss loss of uh, advancement of women, we have to do things like share equally in domestic work, share equally in childcare. Um, we have to, we have to do the cognitive emotional labor, right? Um, women have described being walking lists. You know, they have all this extra work around keeping lists and, and managing next events and thinking about the clothing sizes their children are wearing. And these are, these are things men often don't share in as much. So I have got to do this better at home. Um, I have got to also role model for uh, other men that at work, this is a priority for me, my my domestic obligation. So too often, Dave and I find that men sneak out the back door if they have a family obligation. And our message is, no, you need to leave loudly. You need to make it clear that You've got an obligation with a child or with your family, and this is a priority. That's why you're taking a day off. That's why you're leaving today early. Um, that's why you're going to take your full parental leave when a child is born, because this is a priority. And and when men do that, it tends to destigmatize it for a, not only junior men, but uh, for other women as well. So this levels the playing field. It makes it normalized that we're all going to prioritize what's going on at home. And and men have a crucial role to play. And last thing I'll say here is, remember, this is not just about supporting your partner fully. This is also about role modeling for your sons and daughters. So for daughters, we find that when a father is fully engaged as a partner domestically, She's more likely to go into non-traditional fields like STEM, like engineering, and she's more likely to persist uh, in those fields. When a son sees a father sharing fully at home, he's more likely to enter the workplace expecting egalitarian relationships with women. So if there's one thing we men could do to shape the future of work, 
make it more equitable. It's role model this kind of partnership at home for our children. Right. So I know I can attest uh, my own father, just to show what some of this looks like, I think, went to every one of my sister and my softball games, which were all girls softball games, the entire time we were growing up, and took my sister and myself from the time we were like seven years old to every high school football game and basketball game in our community. And it does, it's like, well, this is just what we do. Also, um, one of my journalism students wrote a story about a man who was going to help save his wife's bakery during COVID. And when you mentioned Kate, this brought to mind the way he described it. He would get up at two o'clock in the morning to bake bread, and they would be giving away loaves of bread to their customers to help just with marketing and awareness that they would be back as a restaurant. So he would play a really encouraging song that meant something to him. And he said, when I put on my apron at two o'clock in the morning to bake this bread, I feel like Superman putting on his cape. <laughs> yeah, I love yeah. that, Sandra. Yeah. And so what specific steps should a man take? I know you have mentioned seven strategies. What does that look like? What are some specifics, uh, as you just mentioned, what are some other things that men could do? Yeah. So I, there's so many of these and, and, you know, I think you mentioned seven, but <laughs> Brad, Brad and I sometimes feel like there's 700 of them that we ought to be thinking about. But I, just to give you a few specifics, I, I think that one is that we need to first start with the place that um, we heard from women over and over again was that guys, can you, can you first just listen? Can you listen to us? And, and, and listen in a way that, in particular, that you're not here to fix my problem. So in other words, I guess as guys, we have this sense of uh, maybe it's just from a leadership perspective, too, that we have this very large fix-it gene in our brain that we're, we're here to solve problems. And so when we're listening to a woman that we're here to fix her problems, and, and no, no, we're not here to fix her problems. Um, we're here to listen and to understand and and maybe to affirm and validate her, what she's saying. And, and maybe the response at the end is just that, Hey, I believe you. Um, and that and there's that a place takes the burden away that takes it away from being a gripe or, uh, you know, something that I, now it's my responsibility. It, it shifts that kind of perspective of what you're saying is a complaint. Exactly. And, and, you know, and there's even, there's even a worse, really insidious, uh, way that this gets turned around on, on women and again, other people, uh, again, who are traditionally disadvantaged in the workplace. And, and this is the gaslighting, right? This is this turning it back and, it, and making her question whether she really experienced that and, and was it her fault that she experienced it in the workplace? So, I mean, there's, there's even a more negative side and we see that also happening quite a bit. And those are things when we're in groups that as men, um, if we're really listening and being attuned for these things, then we can, once we hear those, we can call them out and we can stop it in its tracks because it really is, it's really quite, quite dangerous and damaging to, to people as they begin to question who they are and what they, and what they just went through or heard in, in, in some cases out there. So listening and listening, you know, with generosity or listening generously is something that we, we think is really important. Um, so we're thinking about this in particular. The other one is some some basic ones around in 
just being aware of who's in the space or who's in the room, who's in the meeting, um, and making sure that the, the, the people that should be there are included. So for example, make sure that you're including women in all these things that you're doing, because often women are, are not, they're excluded in a variety of different ways. And whether, you know, pre COVID that might've been in a variety of different kind of work gatherings, but even during COVID, it could be, again, we might be having a, a zoom happy hour or social get together or something. And take a minute to look around the the Hollywood squares there and make sure that everybody who should be there is there. Because again, we find that in these, it's in these spaces that as men, and, and again, this is more likely to happen in, in a place like in a STEM environment where it's mostly men to begin with, that um, we're going to be, sh- even though it might be a social gathering, we're still sharing um, insider knowledge, some of the opportunities. Hey, did you hear about this coming up? Right. And so these are opportunities that if women aren't there, they're missing out on that. And that inside information or the hidden politics, the different things that, again, get shared in an informal basis. But if we're not being attuned to who's in the space with us, women are more likely to miss out on those things. Another one I think that's it's really important is is really thinking about our own privilege as men and how you know, when I'm in a meeting, it's it's really not uncommon when I walk in a room or I'm at the table that the, the light just, the, the microphone comes to me, the light comes on me and people listen. They want to hear what I have to say, whether I have any expertise or reason for people to listen to me to begin with. And and, it, and that's really about male privilege and white male privilege specific, specifically. And that if we can acknowledge that and see that, that when that happens and go, hmm, um, you know, maybe I don't need to be the person here speaking right now. Maybe I don't need to be the one where the attention is. Maybe there's somebody else and I can look around the room and go, oh, wait a minute. Um, You know, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. But, um, you know, Sandra here is the expert. I I wonder if we could ask what Sandra has to say about this and hear, hear her thoughts. Cause I think that would be more important. And so there I've decentered myself, right? I've taken that focus away. I've, 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 la- I've done the lateral pass over to you. I've handed you the mic and and given you a chance to not just to put you on the spot, but to let you shine, right? And again, I think we can do that. There are lots of great opportunities in different places, in different ways that we can think about decentering ourselves out of the focus of attention as men um, out there. The other one that Brad and I talk a lot about that I, I just want to make sure that we... Um, we include here is this idea of transparency. And this happens again all the time. So even when women are in the room, let's make sure that we're being transparent about the things that are creating um, inequities, such as, for example, pay. Pay and benefits are always one that they're important to all of us. Um, if we as guys don't begin to be very transparent and share for example, what our salaries are and what we're making or what that at that next rung, that's what that's what you should be negotiating for. That ought to be the 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 bar that you're reaching for, because that's what all these other guys are getting paid. If we're not being transparent. And again, I think a lot of organizations today um, informally or formally, in some cases, are trying to keep us from sharing that information because, they, again, they're they're concerned that it's going to cost them money. Well, but that's creating, that's reinforcing the gender pay gap out there in a variety of different ways. So we have to be, again, transparent about that with with each other if we're going to 
uh, get rid of these inequities like that. And the final one I just I'll leave you with is that as guys, I think one of the other places, you know, as we talked about the beginning, that this is not a women's issue. So we need to engage when there's diversity and inclusion initiatives and programming going on. If you have a women's employee resource group and ERG in your organization, um, we need to participate in those. And we need to think about what does it mean for me to show up as a guy and support and collaborate and, and be a ally in that space. And that's not to, to go in there and take over and to dominate and, and to tell, oh, here, little ladies, let me show you how to fix your problems. Nope, that's there for us to listen, to begin to understand, to put this into context for ourselves. And then, yeah, when you feel like you understand what the, the issues are, maybe you can ask one of them or, or the group that, hey, what's one thing I could do to, to help? Or what's one thing that I, we could do more of or less of that would make your experience, your ability to advance in this workplace better? I'm sure okay. Brad has a few other ideas. Oh, I think you got a bunch of great ones, Dave. Those are some of my favorite too. So I have to ask, along with this great generosity of spirit, we're all very competitive in the workplace too. So I have to ask, what about a guy who feels that this is really threatening? Who asks himself, <laughs> hey, wait a minute. What if my colleague, my female colleague who I am advocating for becomes my boss? What if she gets more promotions? What if I feel threatened? What, what are the benefits for the, the man here? Yeah. Well, um, there are a lot of them, Sandra, and I'm really glad you brought this issue up. You know, you're, I think you're really kind of referring to what we see in the research literature described as the zero-sum fallacy, right? And, and when we're talking about gender equity and equality, this is something men fall prey to that, hey, I, you know, gender equality is nice, but I'm really concerned that if more women start getting paid more and advancing and getting more opportunity, then I'm going to lose out, right? There'll be fewer opportunities for me. And when you dig down and look carefully, this sort of black and white, us versus them, I win, she loses kind of thinking is just erroneous. So we find that those companies that bring in more women, promote more women, um, and and then get more women all the way up into the C-suite, you know, in genuine leadership, those companies just do better. They're more creative. They make more money. So actually the company grows. It expands. Um, you as a guy have nothing to lose because your organization will be more successful. So this whole idea that um, I'm going to lose somehow as a male is something I think we need to just all consistently push back on. Um how do men benefit? That's a great question, Sandra. And and they they benefit in a number of ways. So we find men who have good, close friendships with women, men who have women mentors, men who mentor women are better in a number of ways. They're better networked. They have a much better understanding of what's actually going on with their female colleagues and, and some of the headwinds and obstacles women encounter in the organization. Um, they, they have a, a network that includes different perspectives. They're often recognized in forward-leaning organizations as talent developers and inclusive leaders uh, when they really lean in. Their EQ gets better. Their communication skills get better. And, and those are interpersonal skills that not only benefit me at work and help my leadership, 
those are things I get to take into other relationships, you know, so make me a better partner, better parent. So there's almost not an area where stronger cross-gender working relationships don't benefit men. I mean, this is just, this is good for us. So this this close engagement, this cross-gender mentoring, this allyship, it, it benefits women, companies, and certainly it benefits men. So what's next? Um, let's mention your books one last time, if, if you could, your latest book in particular. How does allyship work amid all the changes that we're going through? Industrialization 4.0, increased automation, artificial intelligence in everything, the rise of remote work, and frankly, what appears to be quite the polarization in this country based on gender. Yeah, those, yeah I mean, those are great questions. And, and it's one that, you know, Brad and I love to talk to organizational leaders about quite a bit in that, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, uh, and we will, that... Th- but life, you know, going back to normal, and I and I always like to put normal in air quotes there for you, <laughs> that uh, because the normal that we had before COVID um, is not going to be the normal that we're going to return to. And I think most people have realized that at this point, that that uh, society has changed, our visibility and awareness of a lot of different uh, inequities at home and in the workplace have, have had a light shown upon them at this point. And we're just we have more, we're just more aware of different things now than we were before. And so I think the idea is that we're really looking at a new world of work, right? We're going to re-envision what work is and and how it's going to happen and where we're going to do it and how we're going to do it. And in remote work is just, you know, one piece of that, as you, as you uh, alluded to here, that there's lots of things that go into this and, you know, certainly artificial intelligence being one of those, but from a remote work perspective, you know, before COVID, interestingly, men had more access to remote work opportunities than women did. And, and this might seem counterintuitive because the reality is that most of us know is that one, there's a perception that flexible work and remote work, these are women's programs, right? These are things that are designed for flexibility so that women can can do their caregiving responsibilities as the primary caregiver in most cases. At the same time, they're doing their paid work job. And it has there. a stigma. I think it still does yeah. have a stigma. Or it used to have. Maybe that will change. Right. And that is one of them, right? And so there's that, there was that stigma about it, right? Even though, you know, so so men had greater access to it, but but women were using it 10 hours a week more than men were, even though they had less access to it. But now, obviously, well, cat's out of the bag. We we clearly all know what remote work is all about now. We know where the benefits are. We know where the things are that we have to overcome, things that we have to work around. We know where it makes sense to do more remote work and maybe where it doesn't make sense. And so I think that those are things that are going to inform us in how we move forward. But certainly the flexibility stigma or the, again, whatever stigma you want to put on fl- flexible work arrangements I think that's gone now, and and it should be anyway, that when we go back to whatever a new world of work is, that we won't have to deal with that particular stigma. And that's good for everybody. That, that's not good for just women. That's good for men, too, because, again, millennial men, Gen Z men that are entering into the workplace today, 
they do have a more inclusive perspective of gender roles and expectations, egalitarian relationships, what that looks like in terms of combining work and family. And, and so their expectations are that they're going to be able to do these things in a way that, that makes sense for where they are with their family today. And what they're experiencing as they're going through COVID is they're getting those opportunities. And we've heard that in many of the interviews we've done since COVID, where men who before they, they were completely 100% working um, in the, you know, in their brick and mortar workplace, not at home, are now 100% working from home. And in many cases have become primary caregivers. And they have a whole new appreciation for what this looks like. So the question is, what do you do with that whole new appreciation? What are they going to do when they go back to whatever, you know, post post pandemic looks like? And how will that change? How will we value caregiving in a way that, again, we can begin to change policy. We can begin to change practice. We can make sure that whether we're advocating in, in our government or we're advocating in our company, or making sure that people who need paid sick leave or paid family leave all have access to it. Because certainly we've seen, again, in today's world that we need access to it. And it's not just access, it's making sure that managers aren't blocking or preventing people from using those. Because once again, we see with men and women that often just because your company has a policy that, oh yeah, we have parental leave or we have paid sick leave, doesn't necessarily mean that you always get to use it or take advantage of those things when you need it. And and if I think the, the final piece of this is that companies and managers hopefully have gotten the word finally that, look, we have to start caring about our workers, our employees that we just can't burn them out. We just can't stress them out to the point where we're going to lose them like we are with millions of women right now that we're forcing out of the workplace, forcing them to choose family because of, of the situation we're in right now and not working with them to take care of them and make sure that they are continuing to advance the work that they need to be doing for their own careers as well as for their families and our companies because we're bleeding that talent out right now. So now is the time for all our listeners who want to bone up on this topic. Brad Johnson and David Smith, their most recent book, Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace, and the previous book, Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women. I think this is the perfect time for everyone to really hone in on this topic and be prepared to bring it back to the post-pandemic workplace. Um, also, for anyone who hasn't known about SWE's initiative, tell people you know about SWE's He for She affiliate group and how they can join and become a part of this, as well as the articles that have been written in SWE magazine about this issue so that we're all ready and prepared for how important this will be as we go forward. So thank you again for your time and great podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Sandra. Great to be here. Thanks, Sandra.